You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. What can I answer for you today? So I have a very non-traditional path to med school. I am a professionally trained chef. Uh, I started cooking back in high school when I was 14. And I uh, graduated high school early. I went to culinary school. Um, came back home after that, cooked for a few more years. And realized I needed to do more with my life. If I was going to work 90 hours a week, I wanted to make a bigger difference. Yeah. And so I went back to school. And I've done, uh, I completed a second bachelor's degree. I've done a post-bac. I'm actually a PhD student right now. But <laughs> uh, applying to med schools, and I was actually applying MD-PhD, my undergraduate GPA is uh, horrible. Yeah. It's about a 3.08, I think is what it comes out to. And that's because a lot of this, when I was in culinary school, if you didn't want to finish a class, you wanted to retake it next try, you just failed it and took it again next try. And so, and it wasn't a big deal in culinary school, and that's coming back to really uh, haunt me on my applications. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to get schools to look at me uh, because my PhD GPA is a 4.0. Nice. And I did well during my post-bac, um, but it only brought my GPA up to like a 3.18 or a 3.2 or something. Okay. And so I'm afraid I'm just going to get filtered out whenever I apply. Mm -hmm. And no one's even going to see that I've done a PhD and I'm, you know, trying to prove myself academically. Yeah. And so I was wondering if you had any advice for that. I do. I have lots of advice. So the, the first comment that you made about your undergrad GPA being horrible at a 3.0 something, right? That's not a horrible GPA. I was talking earlier uh, on an earlier episode of Ask Dr. Gray today w with a student who finished with a 2.5. His first like year was a 1.7. So you're not horrible. You're even, I would say your undergrad is even above where a lot of schools kind of set their cutoff at, at around a three, right? The general rule of thumb that we like to go with. But be, yeah, beyond that, right, you have to remember, and, and this is where I stress all the time, is that final number is not the number to look at. It's what are all of the trends that go into making that number. And so for you, you have your first undergrad degree, you have a second undergrad degree I do, and a post-bac or the second undergrad degree is your post-bac? No, and a post-bac. And so a post-bac. When I went back for my prereqs for med school, I already had a bachelor's. So that waived over half of the bachelor's degree at my current school. Okay. And so they're like, well, you've pretty much just finished a second bachelor's by doing <laughs> prereqs. So yeah. I have a bachelor's in biochemistry. <laughs> okay. So what is the difference between that second bachelor's and the post-bac? Was it a formal post-bac? Was it just a couple classes here and there? What did that look like? Uh, it was a research post-bac with the NIH. So we chose what classes to take. I took maybe two classes a semester, but okay. it was heavily focused on research okay. and being in the lab. Okay. And, and how were your grades with second bachelor's and post-bac? They're, they're good, but I had to relearn how to be a student. Yep. So culinary school is very different from organic chemistry. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've watched Ratatouille. I know all about cooking. Everyone can cook. Ratatouille <laughs> um, but 
So I, I was still cooking full time when I went back to school. I started at a community college and then switched to the four year um, college here in New Mexico. And um, I did well, but then, you know, OCHEM came along and that's where I, I got a C. Yeah. Uh, and OCHEM 2 came along and I, and I got a C. And then I had a vendetta against organic chemistry. So I retook <laughs> both of them <laughs> and I ended up with an A and a B uh, okay. in one and two respectively. And so I would do well, but every so often there were classes that I just, I didn't do well in immunology. I got a D. And so I retook it at the graduate level and got a B, but that actually doesn't replace the grade because I retook Correct. A undergrad as a grad. Well, and, and there is no grade replacement anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, and immunology isn't a prereq, so it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things anyway, right? So a D for a prereq, you would have to retake because a D isn't passing for medical schools. Um, but you have, so, so talk about the trends of your second bachelor's and your post-bac. Do you, are the trends there? Is it up, down, all around? What does that look like? Semester to semester seems up, down, all around, but it okay. is an increase. So my post-bac has a higher GPA than my bachelor's. Um, but then when I look at AMCAS, so when I submit all these grades, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and they go and adjust like the status or the year, yep. you know, some of my post or some of my prereqs they put in as senior, but then yep. some went in as post back, some go in as grad. Yep. And so the grades are readjusted in very odd ways. Yeah. So that second batch bachelor's, most of that will be categorized as senior level classes, just the way that the hours work. Right. Um, and then the post back, the true post back classes will be listed as post back typically. And what is post back went in as graduate actually, because you take really? the post back as a non-degree graduate at my school. Okay. Interesting. Okay. The, post back GPA, what is that? Um, I'm looking at my last AMCAS application, the last time I applied to med school. Um, they created a post back science came out to 3.18 and all other 3.25. That's your post back GPA? It says post back undergrad GPA, yes. Post back undergraduate GPA. And where, where are you pulling those numbers from? The last time I applied to med school, um, um. 2017. Okay. And then, so, so not a huge increase, right? If we look at undergrad, but that's your overall undergrad is 308 or was that your first undergrad was 30 something? Um, Can't really tell based on those. It says cumulative, well, it says cumulative undergrad, if I can speak, is 3.08 yep. and then post back undergrad 3.25. Okay. So not a huge increase there, but then graduate level and PhD level now, right? Graduate, graduate school, you're at a 4.0 for your PhD. Mm -hmm. Okay. And does that show on those lines? Are you that, that wasn't part of the, wasn't part the of application then. Okay. You, as you're going through this process, having applied in 2017, I'm assuming you're only two or so years into your PhD program at this point. Uh, yes, I applied. Ne uh, I finished next year, so I was able. To oh, short. Okay. I was able to accelerate my PhD due to my postback. Okay. Interesting. Because um, why I was applying MD PhD. Okay. Uh, it just made more sense to continue and not end my PhD when I didn't get into an MD PhD program. Okay. And then, so next application cycle, you'll be applying just MD. 
Yes. Okay. So really at this point, you have to just reach out to schools and say, here's who I am. Here's where I struggled. But look at me now, right? Yeah. Um, and, and really tell that story of when I started, I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't have to work hard because it didn't matter. And the the struggle that you will have a little bit is when you did go back to school, when you did do your post back, when you did know that you wanted to be a doctor, your grades still weren't that much improved, right? And that goes with the story of I had to relearn how to be a student. And actually, I would say you had to learn how to be a student because you didn't learn how to be one for your first undergrad because it just didn't matter. And so you had the normal undergraduate growing pains in your second bachelor's and post-bac, and now you've finally hit your stride with your PhD. And you're just going to have to, to I, I would say, talk to schools before you apply. Uh, I would uh, obviously do well on the MCAT to make sure the rest of your application is, is just as solid with everything else, with extracurriculars, vol- volunteering, and shadowing, clinical experience, all of that stuff. That, that proves that you're not just a career student, uh, but you actually want to be a doctor. And um, let the trends speak for themselves. Will there be some schools that are going to filter you out? Sure. Are there schools that filter students out, but then look through other applications that have been filtered out for the kind of needle in the haystack where you may come through and shine from there? Sure. Um, I, I think having above a 3.0 will definitely keep you out of a lot of digital shredders so that you will have the opportunity to be reviewed. I think with as low as your GPA is, you will have a harder time getting to the point in the application cycle where they are reviewing your application with enough time and enough seats still available. And so if we can improve that situation by uh, having a much higher, much more competitive MCAT score to maybe cut the line a little bit, that will definitely help. But then but then remember also those relationships, reaching out to schools now, asking those questions. Um, you mentioned you were in New Mexico. Obviously, New Mexico has uh, a medical school there where they want to train people who live in New Mexico. If you're planning, hopefully, maybe on staying there, you'll have maybe a little bit of a better shot um, to to go to that state school. Um, I, I would did twice with my with UNNH actually. Yeah, uh, school here. Great. Yeah. So so a lot of networking, a lot of communicating, uh, a lot of storytelling when it comes to the application, and okay. and just as much as you can knocking out of the park your MCAT score to to make up for, even though I'm, I'm not really a fan of that term, making up for your GPA with an MCAT score, um, but, but potentially jumping ahead in some sort of line when it comes to your application being reviewed because of the weaker GPA. Okay. Um, follow-up question. You said yeah. to reach out to schools. Mm-hmm. Do you mean, should I be reaching out to admissions the admissions department of schools and asking for a, you know, a phone call or should I be just in that first email, say, this is my story and, um, see where it goes from there. I'm all about phone calls. If you can, if you can start with a phone call, if they say, no, we don't have time for phone calls. What do you have? Then, then kind of lay it all out in an email. But, uh, if you can get someone on the phone and explain your story, then I think that's more powerful. Okay. 
absolutely. Great. What else? What other questions do you have? Oh, um, I think my only other uh, thing, because I've been in school for so long. Yeah. Um, and I've been shadowing through this whole time. All, but honestly, all of my shadowing, for the most part, it's been in orthopedic surgery. Okay. And so Good. I shadow in the clinic. I shadow in the OR. Um, I've mainly been with two surgeons this whole time, so I have a good relationship with them. Um, but a lot of schools have that focus on family practice or mm-hmm. be, uh, shadowing a GP. And so I'm actually starting next week uh, shadowing a family medicine doctor here. But it'll only be for probably three months before the application cycle. Yeah. So that, does that count? Do you think that would look poorly to have only shadowed someone for a few months? No, I think it's fine. I remember on the application, you can project out hours and time. Uh, okay. So having all the shadowing that you have now is great. They're not going to ding you, even if it's a primary care focused school, they're not going to go, Oh, she's only shadowing ortho, uh, orthopedic surgeons. Um, they won't, they won't ding you for that because schools understand that it's really hard to get shadowing and you get what you get. So mm-hmm. uh, the fact that you have now found uh, another physician to shadow somebody who is in primary care, that will definitely help. It doesn't matter that it's only three months out because you have all of the other shadowing. Now, it's a completely different question if you're saying, I don't have any shadowing to this point, but I'm going to start shadowing and I'll only have three months before my application. That's a different story. But having all the shadowing that you have up to this point, plus what you will continue to get, I think mm-hmm. uh, you'll be fine there. And then shadowing does not count as clinical experiences? Shadowing is not clinical. And and the reason I say that is because on the application, it's a completely different category. Mm-hmm. right? So, so when you are filling out your AMCAS application, shadowing is one category from a drop-down. And clinical experience, whether paid or volunteer, is another category. So clinical experience being... EMT, right, in the strictest sense, EMT, phlebotomy, a nurse, right, Uh, um, uh, physical therapy assistant, right, those types of things, Uh, being a CNA or a medical assistant, any sort of interaction, scribe uh, obviously being one of them, um, uh, any sort of interaction with the patients. Now, you may say, well, in my shadowing, I do a lot of interaction with the patients. Well, then it's not technically shadowing. It's probably more clinical experience. Shadowing in its strictest definition is you observing, hands off, mouth shut, nothing, right? And so that, that's where the line is drawn to say, okay, my job with shadowing is to observe the physician what the physician is doing day in and day out, what her job is like, what she does outside of the patient room. Clinical experience is I need to make sure that I enjoy working with patients, talking with patients, being with patients, and and enjoy that interaction. So two completely act- different activities, two completely different goals of each activity. And if you gained both of those from the same area or like the same clinic, that's okay. Yeah, you just split them on the application and just estimate hours for each. So uh, a good example is a clinical research coordinator. A clinical research coordinator has a lot of different roles, both shadowing, clinical experience, and potentially research. And so on an application, I wouldn't just put one activity in because then you're not able to appropriately flag 
the and, and categorize the activity as all three of those. And so depending on what it is, you can mark one activity as two different things by putting in two activities for that same one activity, right, if that makes sense. So for you, if, if your quote-unquote shadowing is more of a hodgepodge of stuff, then you would have one activity listed as shadowing, putting the doctor's name, contact information, estimating the hours that were more technically shadowing, and then put another activity in, mark it as clinical experience, same contact information, but then the description and everything else is more focused on the clinical experience side of things and then estimating the hours for that. The one thing I don't want you to do is just, let's say you've done it for a year and you have 500 hours, don't put 500 for each shadowing and clinical experience. Really separate them out, estimate, so that it's a total of 500 between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I have one last question Um, with regards to my PhD. uh, I guess something that's been brought up by my PhD committees a few times is that schools won't uh, look at my application because it'll, because I'm still in my PhD. Yep. And so I don't want it to look like I'm jumping ship. Yep. Um, But I am like on on track to graduate next, like everything's set and um, working on my dissertation. So is there a way to, should I address that in a personal statement? Should I? No, I don't, I don't think that goes in your personal statement. Uh, a lot of schools will say that uh, because they don't want you not finishing their, their degree. Um, and, and so a lot of it is a scare tactic to say, just, just finish, right? Things happen. Obviously they've, they've seen students who have been like projected to finish their PhD and then something happens and then they don't. And now all of a sudden you're committed to go to medical school and now you're not going to finish your PhD and it looks bad on them. Right? So a lot of it is more of a scare tactic to say, just make sure you're done and then apply, uh, from the medical school perspective, they really don't care, right? Do you want to go to medical school? Do you not? We're going to take you either way. It's not like you're under contract for the PhD to finish that. Students drop out of school all the time. Uh, okay. So so from the medical school's perspective, w- will they look and go, wait, what? she's in a PhD. How is she going to finish early enough? Um, a lot of secondary prompts will say if if you're out of school if you've graduated what are you doing now like during the application cycle and you'll have the opportunity to explain yourself there okay and i guess continuing with like secondaries should i be explaining this trend in my gpa or like the my journey with my gpa essentially yeah so i i would potentially talk about that in your personal statement uh in a sentence or two just a little mini um a little mini thing about having to to come back from a low GPA because you initially wanted to be a chef and blah, 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 right? But just very briefly talking about that. And then the majority of the story is around why medicine. Okay, great. Um, I think you've answered. You've answered pretty much every area of my application. <laughs> awesome. Well, good luck to you. I think you will be a huge asset for a medical school class to be the uh, – the class chef. So um, I am sure every medical school would love to have you um, cooking and and cadavering with them. <laughs> that could be a book title. <laughs> <laughs> cooking and cadavering. There you go. Um, well, good luck to you. Thanks for coming on and uh, and sharing a little bit of your story. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. 
Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check me out on YouTube as well on Medical School HQ. 